What a great privilege it is to be here at uh, the Moody Church. And um, I, I have to say before I get into the message today that Moody Church has played at different seasons in my life a pivotal role. I remember as a 19-year-old Moody student sitting right over there. There's a special anointing right over there. <laughs> and I was struggling with my call. God, really, what do I want to do with my life? I was struggling, wrestling with my destiny, my future. And I'm not exactly sure what it was. Uh, Pastor Lutzer was speaking. Somehow, during that message, I sensed that God was giving me a fresh vision for eternity, that what really mattered in life was eternity, that everything else is going to burn, waste away, be destroyed, be demolished, but what we do that lasts in eternity really counts. And I remember walking down LaSalle Street back to the Institute, wrestling with God, I want to throw my life into something that lasts into eternity, something that doesn't burn up, something that doesn't go away. And it was a pivotal moment like that that actually launched me into ministry. So I want to say thank you, Moody Church. On the way here, I was thinking that Moody Church actually started its first services a hundred years before I was born with a fiery evangelist. And over the more than 150 years of history, uh, this church has play, played a pivotal role in the spiritual destiny of our city. It's been a pillar that for decades upon decades has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and has maintained itself firm to the Word. And when people think of Moody, they think of a church that preaches the Word that gives demission, that is evangelistic. So why don't you give yourself a big round of applause? Come on. Yeah. My wife, Dee, by the way, is here. She's right over somewhere I saw. Right there. You want to stand, hon? No, she doesn't want to stand. Uh, but she is there. Yeah, good to have her with me. Today I want to talk to you about breaking through ceilings, breaking through ceilings. When I first started pastoring in the city of Chicago, I was 21 years old. I've had to go back and apologize to people that I pastored because a 21-year-old doesn't really know what they're doing. <laughs> the church was desperate. I was naive. Desperation and naivety make a good marriage. And so I started to pastor 18 people in the southwest side of Chicago, back of the yards neighborhood, and we were just trying to get going. It was a very, very small church, a very, very poor church in a very, very tough neighborhood. And we had Wednesday night services, and, and uh, they were so desperate that I was actually leading worship. Now, if you've ever heard me sing, you would know how desperate they were. But I was actually leading worship with my guitar on a Wednesday night in the basement. And uh, I had my eyes closed as I led worship as, and I sang. And I heard some commotion in the back. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe someone fell off their chair. 
So I reminded the small group that was there, hey, let's stay focused on Jesus, close your eyes and focused on Jesus. And someone tugged my, my shirt there and said, psst, bastard, it's your wife. So I put my guitar down and I went to the back and there she was. She had actually fallen through a hole in the basement of this old church. She had stepped on a board and it had broken and so her foot had gone all the way down about uh, maybe a, a, a foot and a half into it. And she was a little bit crying, but the big thing in her mind was, if they, are there rats down there? <laughs> I thought she was going into panic mode because she just kept saying, are there rats? My foot, are they gonna eat my rat? I was like, settle down, honey, I think you're okay. And she was stuck. I mean, she couldn't quite get her foot out. We couldn't move. She didn't want to be in that situation. She was in a place where she was stuck. Finally, we were able to pull her out there, get the ambulance, and take her to the hospital. One first-time visitor told me later they thought that this was a setup, and I was going to go back there and touch her and heal her and get up, and uh, that <laughs> did not happen. But I think we've all been stuck at one season or another in our life where we feel like we're hitting up against a ceiling that needs to be broken and it's a terrible feeling when we're in a place that we can't get out of. We want to move forward, but we can't. We want to move backwards, but we can't. We have to break out of that place. We have to get unstuck. We have to break through some ceilings. And so today I want to draw your attention to a passage that's found in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. I believe that God has a purpose and a call on every individual that's in this auditorium. And sometimes it requires us to break through some ceilings in our own personal lives to step into that call. And to fully embrace the, the mission that God has for us. I believe that God has a purpose and a call for Moody Church. And I believe that God has a strong purpose in its future for this church and its influence on the city of Chicago. And what this church can do and should do as God begins to unfold before you this next season. And by the way, I've been praying for Moody Church as, as you go through a transition of leadership in the season that God would give you wisdom and discernment. And I know that it's not always easy going through these transitions, but I believe that God does have a purpose and a plan for this church. And I'm believing that the best days of Moody Church are ahead of you and not behind you. We celebrate the past, but it's God's calling our future that really is our destiny. Luke chapter 5, there's a story also found in the account in Mark chapter 2 and in Matthew chapter 9. It's found in three Gospels. The setting is Capernaum. Mark uh, 2.1 says that Jesus was at a home in Capernaum, and most scholars believe that this was probably Peter's home. Scripture indicates that Peter was married. In fact, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, so some people believe that it was Peter's mother-in-law's home. 
And Jesus happens to be in this uh, place, Capernaum, and it tells us in verse 15 of Luke chapter 5 that a great multitude were gathered to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sicknesses. And there was crowds of people needing a touch from Jesus, the lame, the deaf, the blind, the demonized. And so we zoom into this story in which Jesus, the Son of the living God, is speaking in a crowded house. Now, most scholars believe that in most Jewish homes, you can't fit more than 50 people, so these were packed into the living room of Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house, most probably, and there were people overflowing out the doors of this house the curious, the antagonizers, the questioners, the Pharisees, the people that had heard about Jesus but didn't know much about him, they they'd all gathered around to try to see who is this Jesus. Some had come with needs, some had come with arguments, but nonetheless the crowd had gathered around. In verse 17 it says, And one day Jesus was teaching... And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Today, as I think of Individuals that may be listening to this message in Moody Church as a whole, I think that there are people that break through ceilings, that are driven by God to break through ceilings that they hit up against. People that maybe have found themselves somewhat stuck but decide, I'm going to break through this ceiling. And what I've noticed of people that break through ceilings is they have several common characteristics. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one. Uh, people that break through ceilings are people that discern the times and they take action to seize the moment. I, I, I want you to notice that there was a mixed crowd gathered around Jesus. The Pharisees were there. By the, by the way, there were about 6,000 Pharisees that lived in Jerusalem at the time. They were a tough crowd. They were legalistic presumptuous, proud. They had the training of lawyers, but in the religious setting, and they were the arch enemies of Jesus. And they had gathered around, not to seek Jesus, but they had gathered around to antagonize Jesus, to see if they could catch him saying something wrong, something that they could pin against him. So this wasn't a friendly crowd, all Jesus followers or fans. This was a mixed crowd. But I want you to notice that it says here an interesting phrase that caught my attention a while back. It says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In the Greek, it says the dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. And the mighty power, the dynamite dunamis power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. When I first read that, I thought, hey, 
couldn't Jesus always heal the sick? I mean, why does this phrase pop out like, hey, and at this special time, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick? Here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't always work the same way all the time in every place. There are seasons in which the Spirit of God is moving in a certain way with a certain capacity and a certain anointing at certain seasons. There are times when the church is overflowing with the season of harvest and evangelism and where churches are being filled because the gospel is being preached and the harvest is ready and we've seen that in countries around the world where God has prepared the harvest. There was a, t a time in Argentina where God had prepared the harvest and hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. There was a time in the Soviet Union where tens of thousands of people were bowing their knee and coming to Jesus. Times in Africa where suddenly massive amounts of people were hearing the name of Jesus and bowing their knee and just a multitude of conversions. Some scholars tell us that even today in some of the uh, countries like between India and Africa and Asia that there are 25,000 people coming to Christ every single day. There are places where God is working with extraordinary power bringing salvation to people. But not, yet we look at North America. Look at Chicago. Look at the country that we're, where we live in, the city that we live in. I grew up in Europe where there's massive cathedrals and buildings that talk of the glory days of the church and where hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars were placed into buildings and high Gothic cathedral buildings that now have turned into tourist places because now in Europe, the country that I grew up in in Spain, there's less than half a percent of the population that are Bible-believing, born-again believers. Less than half a percent. Look at Western Europe where they sent out missionaries in England that was a powerhouse of sending missionaries to Africa and India and some of these other countries, and now they need to be evangelized. Hey, there are times when the gospel is moving with power. D.L. Moody in his day was gathering a massive amount of people and literally packing out stadiums in the city of Chicago uh, presenting the gospel in ways and tens of thousands of people were coming to Christ. In fact, when this church burned down, they had to build a much bigger, uh, I forget the name of it, Northside Temple or something like that, Tabernacle, and it packed out. They had to have multiple services because they could not contain the people that were coming to Christ. There's been other seasons where God was moving in revival where it wasn't just evangelism, but it, the church needed to be revived. The sleeping saints needed to awake. And so God was moving to awaken. Uh, we call it the first awakening, the second awakening. Um, 
John Wesley was a part of one of those great awakenings in which his heart, he had served as a missionary, but yet wasn't a believer, and God had to stir his heart up as he encountered the Moravians so that his heart would become awakened to the power of the Spirit of God. And so God sometimes moves in revival, and sometimes moves in evangelism, and sometimes moves in restoration. God moves at different seasons in different ways, and it's up to the people of God to ask themselves, God, what are you doing in this season it appears that particularly and specifically in Luke chapter 5 that the power of the Lord was upon that moment to bring about healing and I don't know exactly why or how it happened but there there seemed to be four men I know that there are four men because it tells us in Mark that there were four men. And these four men somehow were awakened to the fact that maybe now was the time that they could bring their sick friend to the presence of Jesus and that he would receive healing. You see, somehow they awakened to the fact that this was the moment for healing. Somehow they were stirred in their hearts to know we need to take action at this moment in time. The Bible talks about seasons. There's two words for seasons, cosmos and kairos. Kairos has to do with the fact that this is a particular season window of opportunity and time that we cannot miss. Cosmos has to do with the general calendar. Kairos has to do with that moment that we cannot miss. Listen, saints, it's up to us to discern, God, what are you doing? And how can we cooperate with what you're doing? Because we cannot, listen to me, we cannot miss the windows that God opens or closes for the church of the living God. There are seasons of opportunity that unless we step in them, we miss them. These four men somehow were stirred in their hearts to take action because the power of Jesus, the power of God was on Jesus on that moment to heal. And so somehow they sensed it, knew it, felt it, that this was a moment that we can take action, that this moment may not always be here. It's a window that may open and it may close. We cannot miss this divine moment. God can work in every season, but there are certain seasons where the window opens wider. I I think of a few years back, even in my own story, where I was troubled by the lack of passion that I had to see people come to Jesus. I was troubled by the callousness of my heart towards the lost. I don't know, maybe it's just me that it happens to, and Moody Church people never struggle with that. I don't know. You can get callous, can't you? A little bit tough of heart. Lose that sensitivity, that compassion, that brokenness. We watch the news and it just seems to be bad news after bad news and it seems to be those people. Violence and bigotry and 
shootings and killings. and You can get callous to it and somehow just take the mentality, as long as it doesn't touch my world, those people. And I kind of sensed a few years back that my heart had grown a little callous, that, that my passion for the lost had dimmed a little bit. And so I, I, I started praying, God, I need your heart again. I need to have a, a brokenness for this city like I know that I've had at different times in my life. God, I don't sense my, I, I feel like my heart is a little hard, so I started praying, God, break my heart. I want to see people come to Christ. And, and something unusual happened, and I woke up on a Sunday morning, and four o'clock in the morning, that's not my normally best hour of the day, but I woke up and I had this burden. God was starting to stir a burden for the lost, and I woke up and I started thinking of the people that may be there on Sunday morning that did not know Jesus, and, and um, this was super unusual for me, but I, I woke up and I started praying for them, and I felt so compelled in my heart that I actually found tears streaming down my face as I lay in my bed praying for people that may show up on Sunday that didn't know Christ. And, and I had this overwhelming sense of grief and passion and compassion for people that needed to know Jesus, and I, I, I drove to the church that morning, and I during the worship time, I found myself crying and thinking, I'm not going to be able to preach. God had gripped my heart with a new sense of compassion, and I started to think, hey, the heaven and hell are at stake here. People's eternal destiny are at stake here. And when I got up to preach, I was preaching out of Romans, and we had a baptism at the end. There was a couple people getting baptized, and, and so uh, for some reason, I, I just felt compelled and, and got teary-eyed, and I just said, I have to share the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me explain very clearly what it means to follow Christ. And I felt compelled to share it, and, and people were getting baptized, and I, and I just said, you know, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Christ, you need, and, and with passion, I, 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 I just presented the gospel, and and I said, and normally we don't do this. We have a baptismal class, but I just call people forward. If you're giving your life to Christ, and some of you need to get baptized right here. And to my amazement, I didn't expect this to happen, we had about 30 people come forward, weeping, crying. And we baptized them in their street clothes. That was a little messy. Messed up our service. And the next Sunday, I couldn't get a hold. The same thing happened. I had this passion in my heart, this conviction in my soul that people really needed Jesus. And I, I, I was weeping again in the service, woke up in the morning, and, and I felt like God was stirring my heart that, yeah, this is the season to proclaim the gospel. And so I, this time I said, prepare the baptismal waters. Let's get some towels. And that Sunday, another 35 people came to Christ and were baptized right then and there. We were about finishing one of our baptisms, and, and this lady comes running up, comes running up, and she says, uh, she says, Pastor, sorry, I'm in my pajamas. And I noticed she was in her pajamas. 
She was a little out of breath, and she said, sorry, I, I was watching online. And I told my husband, I need to go give my life to Christ and get baptized today. And he's not a believer. He said, well, whatever. And so I ran out of the house. She said, I drove over here. The parking lot guy said, lady, you can't park your car there. And she said, I need to give my life to Christ and get baptized. He said, all right, go ahead. And so... She said, here I am. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to get baptized. And so we baptized her. The next Sunday, someone came forward, a, a, a couple, a Puerto Rican couple, and they came forward, and they, they said, I didn't recognize them. They said, we're here to give our lives to Christ and get baptized. And I said, uh, I've never seen you before. And are, do you come here? She said, no, we've never attended. We live an hour and a half away. And we were watching online, and we th figured, we both need Jesus. We need to give our life to Christ. And so... In a five-week period, 200 people gave their life to Christ and got baptized. See, part of our responsibility is to ask God, what are you doing? And do we, are we positioned in a place with our heart to respond to what you may be doing, God? The spiritual leadership in our own lives are call is God what are you doing and are we positioned for that number two not only do we seize the moment but people that break through ceilings are people that persist in creatively overcoming obstacles to bring the broken to the presence of Jesus you see it says in verse 18 some men carrying a, paraly a paralyzed man on a mat they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowds, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice that um, it says that Mark tells us there were four men. Now, it doesn't tell us much about these four men, except that they were four men. I assume they were friends of the paralyzed man. And I, I can imagine the conversation they're having. I don't know how far away they were from Jesus, but there's always someone that has to have the idea, right? The initiator. Someone had to say, hey, guys, I got an idea. I heard this guy Jesus is in town. What if we carry our friend and pick him up and carry him over there? There's always a guy with a crazy idea and someone else is saying, no, we don't want to boost his expectations. What if nothing happens? And how are we going to get there? This is kind of crazy. And someone's a little bit a late adapter and someone says, yeah, I think it's a good idea. The encourager, maybe it'll happen. And then there's always the naysayer, right? The Igor. It's never going to work. What if we drop him? What if we can't see Jesus when we get there? I don't know their personality. But they picked up this man, and they started taking him to the presence of Jesus. They got to the house, and it was too crowded to get in. The Pharisees, I'm sure, were saying, get, get behind. Hey, don't push your way in. They tried to get in this way. They tried to get in that way. They said, excuse me. And someone said, hey, we're all here for Jesus. Get in the back of the line. And so these four men, it said they tried to get in the house. They could not find a way in because of the crowd. And by the way, could I say this? Oh, this is just a little side note. I don't know who was there, but the Pharisees were there. In, they were 
the Bible says there were a lot of Pharisees and teachers of the law there. And sometimes, can I just say this? Ouch. Sometimes it's the religious people that aren't really spiritually on target with God that keeps the unchurched world from seeing Jesus. Come on now. And sometimes the biggest obstacle to Jesus isn't Jesus, but it's the people that claim to know Jesus and aren't really living for Jesus and have very little compassion for those that know Jesus. What they hear is judgment and criticism, but seldom see the love of God and compassion in our hearts. And the Bible says that when they couldn't find a way because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof to lower him. Now think about it. I mean, we sanitize this story, but faith is a force that drives us to push through challenges, no matter how difficult they are, to bring people into the presence of Jesus. These men were full of faith, and they had a simple belief that if they could bring their crippled, broken friend into the presence of Jesus, that change would happen. They weren't theologians. They weren't strategists. They were just friends full of faith. And so this man was paralyzed, and there's a lot of people that are paralyzed today in our society, I think. They're paralyzed by doubt, by depression, by fear, by addiction, by financial problems, by disease, by prejudice against the church. I was driving to O'Hare Airport the other day, and I saw a big billboard that said, leave the church. Anybody else see that? And I thought, wow, we live in an interesting society that now on billboards, I think it was a reaction to some of the scandal that's happened in the Catholic church, but it said, it didn't say what church to leave, it just said, leave the church. Can I tell you something? We don't live in the day where good citizens go to church, where people with 1.2 children and good American citizens say, hey, we should go to church. We don't live in a day where people move into a neighborhood and look for a church around. We live in a day where people don't go to church, don't look for a church, don't see a need for church. They need a therapist more than a pastor. They want a bar more than they want to find the Awana program. We don't live in a Christianized society. We live in a society that's becoming more and more and more secular. We can't open the doors of the church and preach the Bible and expect that people will come. Those days are over. I believe that we need some people that have the heart and the faith of these four men that say, I know you can't get to Jesus by yourself. We're going to help you get to Jesus. We're going to pick you up. We're going to walk you. We're going to love you through it. We're going to bring you. Because there's a lot of people paralyzed in our society that will never, never, never. I don't care how good your music program is. I don't care what preacher you have. I don't care how nice the auditorium is. There are people in our society that on their own will never, ever, ever darken the doorsteps of a church unless they find a friend that loves them to Jesus, someone that's willing to pick them up in their paralyzed spiritual condition and bring them to the presence of God where they can experience the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his presence. 
I better move it here. I'm on point number two and my time's running out. Come on, here, here we go. So not only do they seize the moment, not only do they creatively overcome obstacles. Number three, I'm talking about people that break through ceilings. People that break through ceilings are people that combine their faith and action in a way that pleases God and surprises people. Look what it says in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did Jesus see? He saw the combination of not just the paralyzed man, but the friends that picked him up to carry them. He saw their faith. It's plural. Not, and when Jesus saw his faith, when Jesus saw the faith of the five, the five. And now think about this for a second. They can't get through the front door, so these creative, faith-filled men, I guess the initiator again says, I got an idea. Igor's saying, oh, no, I knew you were going to have an idea. And he says, what if we climb onto the roof and we dig a hole in the roof and we lower our friend down there? Igor's saying, oh, that sounds like a bad idea. We're going to drop him. Who's going to pay for the roof? <laughs> so they bring them onto the roof. I mean, these were thick roofs made of mud. They were thatched roofs with, with um, you know, they, they, they were resist the, the hot sun of the Eastern culture. And they got their friend up on the roof, all five of them. I don't know how they did it. One of them was probably counting. I think Jesus is probably around here. What do you think? Yeah, probably around here. Let's check it out start digging and so they start digging i mean this is how it happens and now go downstairs jesus is teaching it's packed out the crowd is there they're listening intently and then a little mud starts to fall in front of jesus and then a little hay starts coming down and then you know i don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've tried to speak and there was a distraction I spoke to high school students one time, and a bird got free in the, in the auditorium. And all the students were going like this. And I just said, let's stop, look at the bird, because I had lost them already. Imagine speaking, Jesus is trying to teach, and now there's mud falling down, and then suddenly you see a hand come out, and then you see someone's eye there. I think, yeah, we're right, it's the place. And then the hole gets bigger. Jesus isn't teaching anymore. They're all standing there looking. Peter's mother-in-law saying, I know we shouldn't have had the meeting in this house. We should have had it somewhere else. This is crazy. This is crazy. Look at the crazy people that are coming in this place. The Pharisees are saying, yeah, this is the kind of service that Jesus has. Look at the chaos here. Look at the craziness there. And so suddenly, I mean, think about it. There's a big hole now. Foreheads stick out. Yeah, let's do it. Jesus is looking. There's a mess down there. And now they start lowering the body of a paralyzed man. I mean, sometimes we sanitize Scripture. We don't think through it, but this was radical. This was crazy. This is four men compelled by a strong faith that says, we'll do whatever it takes. And as they start to lower the body of this man down with the ropes, lowering him down, The Bible says in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith. Why? Because faith always manifests itself in action. 
You see people of faith. You see people of action. People that are taking steps. People that are taking risks. Faith is not just this sedentary affirmation of biblical truths. Faith also drives us to live on mission with Jesus and to risk, believing that it's worth the risk, that God can do things. And they lower them down, and Jesus saw their faith. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus looks at them, and he doesn't say, man, you really messed up my service. Why are you doing this? Hey, you should have waited your turn. He says, he saw their faith, and he says, friend. There's a compassion in his voice. Because anytime when people come together in faith, things begin to happen. He saw their faith and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Hey, we need to believe together to create an atmosphere of faith where God can work powerfully and where the supernatural happens. You know what I get concerned about most with historic churches like Moody? I get most concerned about historic churches like this that you think that your best days are behind you. Oh, this has an incredible history. One of the most powerful histories in the city of Chicago, 150 years, solid. You've had some of the iconic preachers of generations preach in this place, pastor in this place. Goodness sakes, I had George Sweeting pray over me when I became the president of Moody. He's 94 years old, and he has this distinguished voice. Pastor Mark. I almost said, Lord, is that you? No, it's George. <laughs> it's just George Sweeting. What a fiery evangelist and Erwin Lutzer over the years preaching powerfully and some of the powerful Paul Radar, Ironside, some of the others that have preached here and some of the people that have visited. What an incredible thing. But here's what scares me about historic churches. What scares me about historic churches is that we have to be careful that our main objective doesn't simply, be, me, doesn't simply become to maintain the beauty of our history. Because God has much more for every life-giving dynamic church. And Moody Church, Moody Church was founded by an evangelist that had a passion to see people come to Christ. And the greatest way to honor our past is not simply to maintain the traditions of the past, but the greatest way to honor our past is to fill this place out with people that don't know Jesus as the gospel is fearlessly and powerfully proclaimed in this place so that the unchurched, the unsaved, the broken, the lost, the atheist, the people that have no understanding of Jesus are coming to this place and finding a grace-filled, gospel-saturated place in which they can be changed by the power of the living God. Hey, you don't have to have me back anymore. That's okay. And lastly, let me close with this. Not only do breakthrough ceiling people seize the moment 
They creatively overcome obstacles. They combine their faith and action. But they are also people that help meet physical needs that open up doors to spiritual transformation. Notice what it says in verse 22. When Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees complained and said, how can you say their sins are forgiven? Because they understood the implication of what Jesus was saying, that he had the power to forgive sins. He was declaring his deity, him being the Messiah. And so Jesus says, which, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 25, immediately, say immediately. Immediately, immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, what I want you to understand is that this paralyzed man did not come looking for redemption. He came looking for relief. But in the process, he found redemption. The people in Lincoln Park and around this community, they're not looking for religion. They're not looking for redemption. When you say, hey, what are you going to do about your sins? They say, what sins? When you say, hey, aren't you going to seek after God? They say, who, he or she? When you talk about their spiritual need, they, they say there's a lot of options. And they mix Dr. Phil and Oprah and the Bible and Kanye all together <laughs> and give him equal spiritual validity. The city of Chicago is not looking for a savior. They're not looking for redemption. But I'll tell you what they are looking for. They're looking for relief from the mess that they've made in their life. They're looking for restoration. Their marriages are falling apart. They suffer from anxiety. They can't go to sleep at night. They're depressed and they're lonely and they're empty and they're trying to fill their life with a lot of things. But there is a God-shaped vacuum that only God himself can fill. And you can be sure of behind the veneer of success, there is an emptiness deeply embedded within their soul. And so they may not come looking for a savior, and this paralyzed man was not coming looking for redemption. He was looking for, he was looking for healing for his body, but in the process, he found redemption for his soul. Are you tracking with me? So when you invite someone on Easter, don't think that they're spiritually hungry looking for God. They need God, but they don't know they need God. And when a church becomes creative, when a church understands that if we could just bring people into the presence of Jesus and what may drive them is the fact that they're about to go through their third divorce or the fact could be that they can't go to bed at night without popping another sleeping pill or the fact could be that they don't know what to do with their 25-year-old son, son that's strong on heroin and, and they've tried to take him to every therapy place they can find. When they're broken, when they need relief in their life, we love them 
and we bring them uh, to some solutions that are found. And in the process of reaching out to their lives, they discover the power of a Savior. We bring them to the presence of Jesus to find solutions for their life, but in the process, they discover that they, what they really need is a Savior. I was concerned about my voice today because I was at a men's retreat yesterday, an overnight men's retreat. We had 530 men that went overnight to a men's retreat. And the reason I'm a little hoarse is that the final session that we did there, I was able to pray with 12 men who gave their lives to Jesus on their knees. A 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 34-year-old, an, an atheist. That because he got around the presence of Jesus and people full of faith, his atheism crumbled and he knelt with tears going down his face, hands lifted like this, saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> hey, some people get hoarse because they scream too much at a Sox rally or, or the Bears. Man, I think there's something we're screaming about when you see men giving their life to Jesus, bowing to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, it's worth screaming about. All right. I close. What am I saying with all this? I want to challenge you on a personal level to say, are you breaking through ceilings yourself? You don't have to be a theologian or a preacher or have a Bible college degree to lift up the corner of a, of a mat and carry someone to the presence of Jesus. I know this conference is about church planting and I could, man, I could talk a long time about church planting because I've helped plant in this city 27 locations, and in the last six years, we planted 22 congregations here and then overseas. So I'm all about church planting because I believe it helps. It's a, it's a community of faith that allows a new opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. But I could talk till I'm blue about church planting and starting a new congregation, and if, if our, in our own hearts and lives we're not stirred with a passion to see people come to know Jesus. If we don't believe in the presence of God to transform people, then it's going to fall flat. So I wanted to start this conference out by saying, hey, are we breaking, are we, are we willing to break through ceilings out of faith, out of mission, in our own personal lives? Are we willing to pick up some corners of paralyzed people and do we believe that Jesus still changes lives? Do we believe that if we can just get people into the presence of this divine, powerful, beautiful Savior, 
that his presence can transform people and breathe hope into their lives, and that in a moment, immediately, instantly, their lives can be transformed because the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ has power to break every chain, has power to wash away every sin. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who came, there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Do we believe it deeply? Are we passionate about it? I believe that God has placed you, Moody Church, strategically in the heart of the city of Chicago. I believe that he's given you a great heritage and a history. I believe that you're not here in this place out of coincidence. And I believe to whom much is given, much is required. And that these are the days to say, as a church, how do we break through the ceilings? for our community, for our city, and for the glory of King Jesus. Would you stand with me? Father, we come before you in deep need of the breath of your Holy Spirit to awaken that which needs to be awakened, to stir that which needs to be stirred. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its leadership. I thank you for so many of the faithful saints that have prayed, given, believed. So, God, can we ask you, can we be bold enough to ask you for this next season? Can we be bold enough to ask you, God, that you would move in some extraordinary ways in our lives and in this church? Would you stir our hearts in a fresh new way to see the people around us that are so paralyzed that they cannot come to Jesus on their own? that it will be only as we pick up the corners of their stretchers and believe that you can change their lives and bring them into the presence, into your presence, expecting your presence to influence their lives. God, I pray for this church. God, that you would use the, the history, the muscle, the strength, the position, the reputation of this church to continue to plant other churches. To help other ministries, to start ministries, God. I pray that the most creative, powerful, passionate, compelling years of Moody Church will not be in the 20s or 30s or 50s, but it'll be in the 2030s, the 2040s, the 2050s, God. We're bold enough to ask that for this place, for Chicago, for the sake of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen, amen. and amen.